0: Yesterday was Easter, and today is sometimes called Easter Monday in the Christian understanding. Um, and as I'm sure you know, in the Christian understanding, <coughs> Easter is the celebration of Christ rising from the dead after having been crucified. And it it's funny, I think it's it's very typical for, for sort of new agey non Christians to to look at Christianity and say the fundamental message are the you know the the teachings about love thy neighbor and all that you know, that sort of thing, the moral teachings. And well the moral teachings are certainly important to Christians, really for for Christians themselves, the resurrection is the central truth of Christianity and nothing else matters. Nothing else would matter if the resurrection were not a physical, historical fact. And so I'm always struck by that. Um, and and struck by it, you know, even if we're not going to talk about the the physical historical event, um, just just struck by that um, that archetypal symbol. You know, and Joseph Campbell and others have argued that the, the moment of the Buddha becoming enlightened is in some ways the same archetypal symbol as Christ's resurrection. This kind of breakthrough of the individual to something much larger. So I want to also present uh, another story in the Christian Bible, Um this was, this was before the crucifixion or resurrection, um, a, a story called The Raising of Lazarus. And you, you may be familiar with this story. Uh, Jesus and, and his disciples were friends with these sisters, Mary and Martha, and they had a brother, Lazarus. And first of all, Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, and he, he for whatever reason, he stayed in whatever place he was a few days longer. And then they got another message that Lazarus had died. Um, And then he and his disciples went to Bethany, where Mary and Martha were. So I'm going to read this passage. This is from the the Gospel of John. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, yes, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me though he die, yet he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And what one of the many things that fascinates me about that passage is it's almost this Zen move that Jesus does of, you know, he says, Your brother will rise again, and Mary says, Yeah, yeah, far away from now. resurrection on the last day, far away from the present moment. And he brings her right back to the present moment. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and there's something, there's something quite profound in that. Whatever life there is in us, whatever, you know, inner resurrection there is, is in the present moment. You know, it's not somewhere else. Whatever, whatever love or healing or anything, it's in the present moment. I'm going to share a poem also, and this is a poem that's kind of a riff on the the Lazarus story. It's a poem by David White called The Lightest Touch. Good poetry begins with the lightest touch, a breeze arriving from nowhere, a whispered healing arrival, a word in your ear, a settling into things. Then, like a hand in the dark, It arrests the whole body, stealing it for revelation. In the silence that follows a great line, you can feel Lazarus deep inside, even the laziest, most deathly afraid part of you, lift up his hands and walk toward the light. I'll read that again. Good poetry begins with the lightest touch a breeze arriving from nowhere, a whispered healing arrival, a word in your ear, a settling into things. And then like a hand in the dark, it arrests the whole body, stealing it for revelation. Now, I I want to point out there, the stealing is not S-T-E-A-L, to rob or to take. It's S-T-E-E-L, making something as hard as steel stealing it for revelation. In the silence that follows a great line, you can feel Lazarus deep inside. Even the laziest, most deathly afraid part of you lift up his hands and walk toward the light. And there's many things that fascinate me about that poem. One is he's... He's pointing to a dynamic that is that is so fundamental. Um and he's talking about it in the context of this is what makes a good poem, this is what a, a poem should strive for. But in some ways it's also what a Dharma talk should strive for. It's it's something, you know, even arguably it's what I'm what I'm striving for at moments when I'm in my day job in front of a classroom, you know. There's a dynamic there that I think might play out in sermons, in sales, in romance, in therapy, like in so many different contexts. Um, And so that really intrigues me about it. And so it's a very interesting question just to sit with. What are the places in us that are not alive? What are the places in us that that are paralyzed in some kind of, deep sleep or or the places in us that are comatose, you know. You know, and how can I say, insofar as none of us are completely realized, you know, all of us have places like that, you know. Um, and it's fascinating because the poem is so careful to say you know, getting to those places, moving those places, contacting those, those, those really dead within or, you know, in deeply imprisoned kind of places, um, first of all, it's about getting comfortable. It's about creating a sense of safety, you know, establishing a kind of rapport, um, and then this idea that something from the surface, a word or an image from the surface, could drop in and touch that place. Um, there is a profound healing capacity to truth, and in some ways, this is even what made you know Freud and talk therapy. Relatively successful. Just, just the fact when people figured out some truth about themselves, they were better. You know. Um, it's funny. There is a is a place in us that really knows our truth. But it's deeper than all our narratives. It's deeper than all our our emotional ups and downs. It's deeper even than our pain. It's deeper than our deepest pain, you know, and it, it, it's ironic because pain has so many lies. And one of the lies of pain is I'm the deepest part of you. Well, you know, it's the loudest part of you, but it's not necessarily the deepest. And you might say that there's a substrate underneath everything else. That is kind of a quiet ground that knows the truth. Um. And when there's a connection to that, there, there opens up a possibility for healing and, and revivification within. This is precisely why it can be so cruel to use truth as a weapon. And there, there are some people who are intuitively very, very tuned in, but they're not connected to their heart you know, to, to launch a truth at somebody that they're not ready for. Um, It's so painful because it hooks them in a way, you know, it's like one of these medieval weapons that hooks somebody, you know, and, you know, in denying it, like, they're, you know the person says that to me, and I'm trying to deny that it's true but i'm I'm arguing both against them, but I'm also arguing against a sense of truth in my own body, you know, and so it it's it throws somebody into a a self struggle or a, you know puts them at odds with themselves, which is unfortunately what what some manipulative people are aiming for and so it's you know, it's you might say that this moment of, of the truth sinking in and landing deep in the body, is a moment of inspiration. And inspiration is is a funny word, um, among other things. You know, we all have a a muscle, at the bottom of our rib cage, the diaphragm, and like any muscle. It's action. the action of a muscle is when it contracts. So when the diaphragm contracts, it pulls downward, expanding the lungs. And that action of the diaphragm is called inspiration. It, it's when breath enters us, you know. And so it's so often, uh, you know, can be a very good thing, you know, if you're looking for inspiration, you know, consider, are you breathing with your diaphragm, you know, And the funny thing about this, this moment of the truth landing in us. It's so important, and yet in a way it's not important. It's so important in the sense that now we have this perspective. um, But it's not like that's the healing process all by itself. You know, it's almost like you might say, that that truth landing within us, we've gotten the message that some poor person is locked in a closet somewhere, and we go and rescue them by opening up the closet door. But of course, if someone has been trapped in a closet for a while, and we open the door, they're not going to walk out just ready to be friends with us, you know, like anyone in that position would be traumatized. They'd have emotional stuff to work through. They'd probably have to be physically, you know, phys- therapy and nourished and all that. And much in the same way, the traumatized places within us that have been locked away. I mean, think of that as a literal person who's been locked in a closet forever, you know? In, and in particular, many of the places that were locked away are places that had feelings that we didn't want to feel. You know, it's as simple as that. The feelings that we do want to feel, we're in touch with those places. The feelings we don't want to feel, you know, that got pushed away a long time ago. And so opening up that closet will mean that I'll start to feel whatever difficult thing that I didn't want to feel before. And the only way through feeling is to feel. You know, I've had days when I've had things you know, shifts and things open in meditation and I've just sat with feelings, you know, and sometimes I sit for four or five days with the same feeling and it just keeps coming and coming and it might be grief, it might be rage, it might be despair, it might be shame, you know, but in other words, I just have to feel it fully. Once we feel it fully, we we have, have, as it were, paid our debt, you know, the woman who used to run the sangha, Rain, like to say, feelings just want to be felt. And so it's, it's a very interesting question, you know, how open are we to the truth that could change us? How open are we to the truth that could really land deeply? You know, what is the truth that I've been putting off facing? You know, and probably we all have something like that. You know, <laughs> something. You know, I mean, it's just it's you. It's so human. You know, that that thing. Oh, Well, yeah. I'll I'll get to that. You know, I'll get to that. That sort of thing. You know, and I. With all this, I think it's just so important to be compassionate with ourselves because we're all human. We're, we all make mistakes. We're all hiding from the thing that we should be facing. And, you know, we're all, we do all that stuff. It's just it's part of what it is to be human and it's fine. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the zoomies. Them with the roomies. So I put on top the, the quote from the Gospel and the, the poem, so you can reread that. From Meister Eckhart, the Christian mystic. I tell you the truth any object you have in your mind, however good, will be a barrier between you and your inmost truth. And it's true. The head plays very little ability. I mean, the head might be good about digging out that, that perfect poem or finding that wonderful painting that's going to open us up, but then the head has nothing else to contribute to healing. Emily Dickinson said, The truth dazzles gradually or else the world would be blind. Henri Finrique Emil said, truth is not only violated by falsehood, it may be outraged by silence. And certainly we we can imagine this in a social context if, you know, some important social truth has not been realized and the, the the rage that builds behind the fact that you know we can't admit this truth, something like that. But the same thing happens within us. You know, the truth that I've silenced within me. There's there's a certain there's some quarter of me that's been that's enraged by the injustice of that, you know, that kind of thing. From uh, the jing this is uh, from commentaries that Richard Wilhelm compiled for hexagram number 51. When a person has learned within their heart what fear and trembling means, they are safeguarded against any terrors produced by outer influences. This is the spirit that must animate all leaders and rulers, a profound inner seriousness from which all outer terrors glance off harmlessly. And again, talking about someone who is grounded in that place, and by by leaders and rulers, he has in mind sage kings, of course, not not what we have in mind as rulers. Virginia Woolf said, "Yet it is in our idleness, in our dreams, that the submerged truth sometimes comes to the top." You know, and it's funny sometimes when we're least expecting it, we're totally relaxed. And then all of a sudden, ooh, the thing I did not want to face, you know. Sri Nisgardatta said, Truth is not a reward for good behavior, nor a prize for passing some tests. It cannot be brought about. It is the pr- It is the primary, the unborn, the ancient source of all that is. You are eligible because you are. You need not merit truth. It is your own. Just stop running away by running after. Stand still, be quiet, and that's true of the of the cosmic truth, but it's also true of just our own truth. Auden said, "Truth, like love and sleep, resents approaches that are too intense." So, John Cornforth, the chemist, said in his Nobel uh, address. Truth is so seldom the sudden light that shows new order and beauty. More often, truth is the uncharted rock that sinks his ship in the dark. Koba Abe said, You wonder what's inside. You wonder if you can trust it. That one is lovely and playful. Flannery O'Connor said, Truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. <laughs> Robert Persick said, It is a puzzling thing. The truth knocks on the door and you say, Go away, I'm looking for the truth. So it goes away, puzzling. The Dalai Lama said, There's only one important point to keep in your mind and let it guide you. No matter what people call you, you are just what you are. Keep to this truth. You must ask yourself how you want to live your life. We live and we die. This is the truth that we can only face alone. No one else can help us, not even the Buddha. So carefully consider what prevents you from living the way you want to live your life. And that last line is such a profound meditation. What prevents you from living the way you want to live your life? Carolyn Mace says, We often hesitate to follow our intuitions out of fear. Most usually we are afraid of the change in our own life that our actions will bring. Intuitive guidance, however, is all about change. It is energetic data right with the potential to influence the rest of the world. To fear change, but to crave intuitive clarity is like fearing the cold dark night while pouring water on the fire that lights your cave. An insight the size of a mustard seed is powerful enough to bring down a mountain sized illusion that may be holding our lives together. Truth strikes without mercy. We fear our intuitions because we fear the transformed power within our revelations. That one's very challenging. Anne Lamott says, Your problem is how are you going to spend this one odd and precious life you've been issued? Whether you're going to spend it trying to look good and, and, and creating the illusion that you have power over people and circumstances, or whether you're going to taste it, enjoy it, and find out the truth of who you are. Henry Cloud said, There's a big difference between harm and hurt. We all hurt sometimes in facing hard truths, but it makes us grow. It can be the source of huge growth. That is not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. Facing reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. Adi Ashanti said, the process of finding the truth may not be a process by which we feel increasingly better and better. It may be a process by which we look at things honestly, sincerely, truthfully, and that may or may not be an easy thing to do. And finally, Mark Nepo said, whatever whatever truth we feel compelled to withhold, no matter how unthinkable it is to imagine ourselves telling it not to, is a way of spiritually holding our breath. You can only do it for so long.